Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, September 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk abortion, voting rights, and January 6th with Representative Benny Thompson. Then Pfizer says its COVID vaccine is safe and effective in kids. And Mississippi can't get enough of monoclonal antibodies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today, we return to our talk with Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson, who represents Mississippi's 2nd District in the U.S. House. Representative Thompson is also chair of the Homeland Security Committee, as well as chair of the Select Committee on the January 6th attack. That is where our conversation begins. Thompson speaks again with Rob Lane. We were put together as a response to what occurred on January 6th. We have been in the process of onboarding staff. Uh, We've had one hearing with United States Capitol Police. We've issued a number of requests for documents. Uh, We've issued a number of letters requesting preservation of documents. And we are now proceeding with the investigative phase of the committee. We will continue that process until our work is done. But we accept the challenge as well as the goal within the legislative authority that requests the select committee to look at the facts and circumstances around what occurred on January 6th and come back with a series of recommendations that can be brought back to Congress to, if adopted, would prevent those kinds of acts from ever happening again. So it's a work in progress. We know that an upcoming book from Bob Woodward claims that there were concerns within the Joint Chiefs of Staff that President Trump might authorize military action against China in his final days of office. Is that something that's of interest to the committee? Well, we have issued a letter of 
preservation to the Department of Defense around the January 6th incident. We would hope that that information will be part of the information that will be transmitted to the committee. It's bothersome that evidence is saying that the Department of Defense could have been used as a a tool for the big lie in terms of delaying a response to what occurred on January 6th. The people who all of a sudden became presidential appointments within the Department of Defense after the November election of Joe Biden, but before the certification of the November election. So there are a number of issues we hope to look at, not just from the Department of Defense perspective, but we have Department of Justice, we have Department of Interior, a number of federal agencies that we think need the select committee's review of what their roles and responsibilities around protecting this democracy of ours on January 6th. Over the past few months, former President Trump has been emerging more and more back into public life, and it's rumored that he may pursue a second presidential term in 2024. Based on what the committee has found so far, would you be concerned that a second Trump presidency might immediately present national security concerns? Well, we're in the process of investigating all of that. I can tell you that the effort to not certify the election would have had catastrophic consequences on our democracy as we know it. So I would say if former President Trump is of the same mindset when he runs again, as he's demonstrated during his last presidency, as an American, I would be very concerned about the future and standing of the United States of America. I know you are a supporter of abortion rights. If Laws like the one that we've recently seen enacted in Texas continue to gain momentum. Might there be a legislative role for protecting those rights? Well, I believe in a woman's right to choose. I don't understand why all these men all over the country are so worried about what women do with their bodies, but it's an individual choice. So I, when I ran for Congress, I was asked uh, about abortion. That was my position then. And I'm still in Congress, and that's my position now. It's a woman's right to choose. If the John Lewis Voting Rights Act fails in the Senate, which I've seen a lot of folks expect it to do, um, what's the plan for protecting voting rights? Well, it's unfortunate that uh, Republican-dominated legislatures are passing laws that prohibit and make difficult the ability of American citizens to choose the leaders of their democracy. Uh, Laws ought to be passed to encourage participation, not discourage participation, 
And that's what's going on in Texas. That's what's going on in Georgia. That's what's going on in a number of states around this country. There there are some 47, 48 states that are trying to limit the ability of its own citizens from voting. And so that's so unfortunate. That's also a reason why the John Lewis voting rights bill is so important to this country, because it's a method of looking at how we vote, who we vote, and whether or not that process is fair. And if it's not, there's federal oversight available to ensure the fairness. So uh, the Voting Rights Act has worked a number of years. It's just so unfortunate that now people in charge want to penalize senior citizens. They want to penalize people who don't look like them. They want to penalize the disabled in, in this country just to have their own petty political positions made the majority when in some instances they are the minority. Representative Thompson, really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Before I let you go, just wanted to quickly check in. Any updates for Mississippians on the infrastructure bill? Well, it's uh, working through the process. We've had markup in a number of our committees the past two weeks. We go back on September 20th to start the final countdown toward that. If we are successful, our schools in Mississippi will benefit. Our highways will benefit. Children will benefit because we'll have broadband available, regardless to where you might live. There are so many positive reasons. On top of that, we'll have jobs created for Mississippians. Those who live on the river will benefit from that. So it's a, a an investment in the future of this country, and it's an investment that, an opportunity if we miss, then a state like Mississippi will still, unfortunately, be on the bottom. Representative Thompson, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Coming up, Pfizer says its COVID vaccine is kid-friendly. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Drug maker Pfizer says its COVID-19 vaccine is safe and effective in kids between the ages of 5 and 11. That's notable here in Mississippi, where pediatric cases of the coronavirus have put strain on schools and hospitals alike. Dr. John Godet is a pediatrician at Merritt Health in Hattiesburg. He speaks with Michael Guidry. When the vaccine was first developed, you have to begin clinical trials. And I would say the, you know, it's clinical trials to prove the safety and the effectiveness of the vaccine. And those trials, I would say, are easiest to do in adults. It takes longer to do those trials in the younger age groups, which is why the data, there's only now enough data to be able to assess for safety and effectiveness. What's next? This is Pfizer reporting on the efficacy and, and the safety 
of its vaccine through it, the trials it's conducted. What's the next steps to get this available and to, to children and parents before the winter? Pfizer will need to supply all of their data to the um, organizations that review all of that. The, there's a group called the uh, ACIP, of the American Council on Immunization Practices, which is part of the uh, Centers for Disease Control, uh, and they make recommendations. And the, uh, federal, the Food and Drug Administration uh, also needs to give final approval. So you're going to have a lot of people looking at this, people who are well-versed in what to look for and was the studies, were they done correctly? Do they have enough people in the studies in order to show safety and effectiveness and to look for potential side effects or problems from the vaccine? Pfizer did come out when they released their data, said it looks it, it appears to them at least to be a safe and effective vaccine. But we have to look, you know, we have to rely on experts outside of the companies to make that determination. Mississippi is a state that has trailed in overall vaccinations for for much of 2021 uh, when vaccines were made widely available. You're a pediatrician. You you see parents and 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 young kids regularly. What kind of game changer is this when it comes to raising the vaccination rate? And what are some of the challenges you foresee of this vaccine being made available to another age group? I'll start with the challenges. You know, there are individuals who um, don't want the vaccine for themselves, their family members, or their children. I, I think there are a number of reasons for that. And as long as the reasons for vaccine hesitancy or vaccine skepticism or outright hostility towards the vaccine, as long as those reasons uh, can be approached through discussion, I will continue to talk about it. I, I know that other physicians feel the same way. Some folks may say, well, I, I heard that it could hurt you or I heard there was a problem with it. And I think when you open up the door for that discussion. Sometimes people will change their minds. Sometimes uh, individual parents will um, say, okay, this is not just me we're talking about. It's my children. You know, it's my family. When you look at this the vaccine safety in the big picture, I think the best choice to make is to vaccinate yourself and your kids. So, I think anything that we can do to get our numbers up, to keep people out of the doctor's office, to keep them out of the hospital, and I'm sorry to say out of the morgue, because children do get sick from this illness, and there have been pediatric deaths from COVID. We don't like talking about it. I don't like to be uh, to make people uncomfortable to remind them this fact, but if I don't mention that as reality, then I'm not doing my job. So the vaccine is here to help protect those individuals and the people around them. Is there anything else I haven't asked you about? I know, again, this is only the first step in a, in a long process, but is there anything I haven't asked you about regarding the information we've gotten from Pfizer and the vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds that, uh, that you'd like to articulate? Yes, and I think for adults, and, and I would say for certainly anyone, um, an adolescent or older, I say get yourself or your child vaccinated wherever you can. If that's going to be at a community vaccination function or at a pharmacy, doctor's office, school, health department, 
you name it, go for it. Now, your five-year-old, when this vaccine becomes, and I feel like that, that it will be approved down to age five, I think that's going to be the determination. Your five-year-old is not going to be able to just go anywhere. Your pediatrician, your family practitioner, your nurse practitioner, your primary care provider will be the person to administer that vaccine. Talk to them about it now. Make, make sure that they're going to have that availability for you and that you're going to be able to get it done at your primary care provider's office. And if they say not, that they're not able to do it, ask if they can become a provider for vaccines. Because a lot of pediatricians and people who see the youngest patients haven't signed up for that yet because they haven't been able to give it to them. But for your young child, it's going to need, it's likely going to be, need to be given in a doctor's office. So start that conversation with your pediatrician or your family practitioner as soon as possible. Well, Dr. John Gooday, pediatrician, thank you so much for the information and for your perspective. Thank you for having me. Coming up, our state is one of the most vaccine-hesitant in the U.S., but Mississippians are burning through another COVID medicine at breakneck pace. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi loves monoclonal antibodies. The state leads the U.S. in per capita consumption of that COVID-19 treatment, according to State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs. Dobbs himself has touted monoclonals as safe and effective and says Mississippi doctors should keep prescribing them when appropriate. That's even amidst national concerns that supply may soon run thin. Dr. Samuel Crosby is primary chairman at Hattiesburg Clinic, which is one of a handful of sites in the state presently able to offer the treatment. He speaks with Kobe Vance. As education has spread and across the community now, um, people just say they want the infusion. They don't even know what it is. They don't. We give them handouts and information on it, but they just know that it's proven to decrease hospitalization rates and sickness, and they're all for it. Everybody doesn't qualify, so we have to go through the whole qualification list with them to see if they qualify. For the ones that do, uh, I don't know, 95% plus probably uh, go ahead and get them done. And I think the first three days we gave almost 200 infusions the first three days we were open with nobody really knowing about it. And it's just grown from there. We've probably given, I don't know the exact number, we're way over 2,000 patients we've given these infusions to. How big of an impact do you think that's had on your community? That's a harder question to answer. I know the nationwide the numbers are at decreased hospitalization rates by, by 70%. So I think it's made a big difference. We couldn't get enough help, nurses and techs and uh, uh, receptionists and all these things to work the hours. We were already extremely shorthanded anyway. And then we added this on top of that. There was just a, a, a need for more help. And unfortunately, once again, working with the state health department, with Dr. Dobbs, there was, we were one of 10 sites in Mississippi, with only one of what a hospital system, to receive two federally paid for supplied paramedics. So they've been able to help increase our infusion rate tremendously, just having more hands on board. And then we're also one of 40 sites nationwide that works with uh, the Health and Human Services and a company called KPMG. We're one of 40 sites to try to increase this same therapy. 
to high-risk patients in underserved areas and disadvantaged communities. So between the resources that those two are, uh, have, a, have helped, that's helped tremendously between the resources they've supplied, I guess. Whenever it comes to those federal workers that are helping y'all out, in what manner are they doing? Like, what, what's their jobs? Yeah, there are the two federally supplied paramedics, and then you have the other program as well. But for the paramedics, uh, they're perfectly able to administer the treatment based on protocols. And just to get a little more clear or not clear, the, the infusions come in basically two forms. The one we're using the most now called Regeneron can be given IV and a drip in the arm over about 30 minutes and then observed for an hour. But it also can be given subcutaneously like a little insulin shot. It's four shots spread out from the abdomen or extremities. And it's a lot quicker to give. You still have to observe them. Paramedics can give those as well. So the fact that they can now give Regeneron subcutaneously and got two paramedics there working all day every day, that's tremendously increased our capacity. So the paramedics are mainly giving subcutaneous injections of Regeneron to these high-risk patients. If you had to estimate, what volume are y'all going through these monoclonal antibody treatments with patients? We did almost 203 days. So, and that, of course, part of that varies is the patients that are diagnosed. And the incidence has peaked, I hope, a few weeks ago. In the last week or so, there's been decreasing amounts of positive cases. But now there are also two indications for the therapy. One is for high-risk patients who are positive. But there's also, if, you've been, if you're not vaccinated and you've been exposed to somebody by significant exposure by the CDC definitions and you're high risk. So, for instance, the husband in the family may have it, but the wife then has been exposed and she's not been vaccinated. If she's high risk, it's indicated to give her the same antibody treatment to prevent her from getting it to start with. So that group, we've just really started to focus on in the last week or 10 days just because we didn't logistically have it worked out until now. So that's another whole set that's going to need uh, treatment as well. How many per day? I, I, I don't know the exact number. I probably should, but I'm going to be thinking we're doing 50 plus a day. Uh, I think that's a conservative number, I think. What would you tell somebody when it comes to recommending either a proactive vaccine or a reactive monoclonal antibody treatment? Oh, it's 100%. You go for the vaccine. And it's, just as an aside, it's interesting how many people who were opposed to the vaccine, the minute they get it, uh, they'll want the antibody treatment. Uh, now, they're both under emergency use authorization. Well, I guess the Pfizer one's now been approved. But once you actually have your feeling sick, you sort of get by the vaccine hesitancy, but it's too late at that point. But the vaccines are the answer, not the treatment. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to let Mississippians know about when it comes to this treatment? Multiple antibodies are not new. We've had them around for a long time. Now, COVID is new, and the antibodies that were developed to treat COVID are new. But we've had antibodies like this around for a long time to treat cancer and other infections. So I wouldn't be uh, hesitant at all to get the multiple antibody treatments. And some people question me when I call them, that it's got nothing to do with the vaccine, does it? For some reason, they'll have concerns about the vaccine, how it was developed, or whatever in the, back, in the back of their mind. And I try to lay those. This has got nothing to do with the vaccine. This is totally separate. I still recommend the vaccine first. But there, there's no reason, there's no no hesitancy to get the antibody therapy. Dr. Samuel Crosby is primary chairman at Hattiesburg Clinic. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. 
Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.